welcome to Insights Group Live. Hello, I'm Susan Violante. I'm your host for today. I'm really excited to be speaking on the phone with Emily Christensen, author of Keeping Curie, the heart-wrenching and heartwarming story of Curie. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Emily. Dr. Christensen earned her Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy and has two master's degrees. One is an M.S. in professional counseling, and the other one is an MDIV in pastoral counseling. The only thing better than writing, she says, is being married to a writer. Nathan Christensen married Emily in the Oklahoma City Temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on 13 October 2012 and has since fostered more than 85 children. In 2015, they adopted the six children who stayed and are totally and completely and helplessly in love as a family, now sealed together for time and all eternity. For more information about Christensen and her book, visit her website at facebook.com slash keepingcurie, and that is keeping K-Y-R-I-E. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi. Thank you for having me. To our audience, this is Emily Christensen, author of Keeping Curie. Emily, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yes, I have been a counselor for 20 years, and I'm also a chaplain in a hospital. And my husband and I have done foster care for about four years, and we adopted six of them who were not able to go back home and they all have different issues, including the youngest, who is a baby who was born with a very small airway, and that's what our book is about. I'm very curious. I, I was always afraid of going into foster care because I thought that you had to give the babies back and that it was something that it was temporary. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that you actually establish lifelong relationships with many of these kids, whether you adopt them or not. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how you came up with the decision and the desire to do foster care? My husband and I both separately, uh, individually, before we met each other, had thought about fostering. But mm -hmm. when we got married, we we really knew that that sort of confirmed that that was something we wanted to do together. So we went ahead and signed up and did the paperwork, and it took about a year to get approved. All the classes and trainings and paperwork and background checks and all of that you have to do is pretty intense. We did go through uh, DHS rather than a private agency, but there are more and more agencies that are also doing fostering. So there are options. Mm -hmm. We worked with more than 80 kids in four years, and many of those we, we did send back. And that is always hard to say goodbye to children, but I think that the biggest thing is that both because of our faith tradition and because we wanted to help, One of the best things that we got to do was just work with families and mentor them in parenting and relationships and even marriage sometimes, modeling that and helping them in lots of ways besides just keeping their children safe. And then we do still have contact with lots of the children that stayed with us, especially some of the older ones who are more independent and have social media pages or something and contact us. Mm -hmm. We don't initiate that, but when they respond to us or seek us out, we definitely are supportive of them and their families. I always admire the kind of strength and love uh, that people have to the point to love other people's children like their own. When it's uh, somebody else's kid, uh, not everybody has that kind of love. And I wonder, well, how did fostering and adopting change your life? 
I thought I was a nice person before parenting at all. <laughs> I am not always as nice. Parenting is really hard, period, whether it's your child or someone else. And I have nieces and nephews, and they like to come to our house a lot. And even with them, it's just hard work. It not is. because they are bad or because you're failing, but because to do it well, you really have to be present and you have to parent consciously. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's easy to be a bad parent, far too easy for us to be bad parents. But to be good parents and to try and to continue learning uh, really, really makes a difference in both our own life and the life of children. The biggest difference for me, I think, is that I am much more self-aware of how I am interacting with others and how what I am handling myself actually is affecting the children. So, for example, if we're going through a hard thing or they're going through a hard thing, if I can do good self-care and take care of myself well, and not in a not in a selfish way, but just making sure I'm eating healthy and making sure I'm sleeping enough or I'm going on walks if I need or whatever coping skills I have. If I'm utilizing those, it's easier to help the children learn how to do that as well. But if I'm just barking at them all the time, like it's not there's no happiness in that, there's no relationship in that. But when I'm talking with them and prompting them and interacting with them, things go much, much better and we learn a lot together. I agree. I think that I surprised myself when uh, my two girls were little. I decided one day when I almost started barking at them, I'm like, you know what, let's do a picnic on mommy's bed. And I took a tablecloth, we ordered pizzas, and we just ate on the bed uh, with um, Animal Planet (laughs) because that was our favorite channel. Exactly. Um, Yeah, and uh, I realized for the first time just how different it's going to be is really your decision. True, and I think also that those are where the memories are made, and those are the things they remember. Even though, yes, we have to brush our teeth every day, and yes, you need to go on bed on time, they don't remember those routine things, even though the structure is so important, especially for foster kids, that that kind of routine is really important. And those skills they often don't have when they come, so you have to teach them. But (laughs) what they remember are those sorts of adventures. It is true. It is true. Tell me a little bit about Kyrie. She's so cute. I saw her pictures, and I saw uh, everybody needs to go to your website, and I'm going to mention it right now. It's uh, the facebook.com slash keepingkyrie, and that is keeping, K-Y-R-I-E. You've got to go and check out that video. I couldn't stop watching it. I watched it more than one time. Uh, but tell us a little bit about her. She's amazing. She's our little miracle baby. Um, We did her half-sister we had already adopted, and so we knew she was on the way, we found out in court, but also that biological mother continued using drugs and and making some other choices that really put her life in danger, and they weren't sure that she would be born alive even. And then when she was born, she had a lot of structural problems in her face and in her throat so that she had a very small airway and no tongue at all, and some mm-hmm. problems with her sinus bones. She had a cleft palate and no chin. All of these problems that made it really, really hard to keep her alive because she couldn't breathe and she couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. And so they told us she would not live for a week or a day or 30 days, and it just kept changing because she just kept surviving, and we worked really, really hard to care well for her, and she she just turned 18 months, actually. So... She's still way too small, and she's still on a feeding tube and on oxygen lots of times. 
but she has a light in her eyes and everyone who meets her or sees her is just in love with her because they can just feel that. There's something about her spirit that is way bigger than her tiny body. And I, I saw her actually on Facebook and I saw many quotes there that were oh so heart-wrenching and heartwarming at the same time. And I can tell you that... Oh, uh, from the book. From the book, okay. I have not read the book yet. We did have a reader views uh, reviewer read it, and she cannot stop talking about it. So everybody needs to check Aww. out Keeping Curie. Go to Facebook.com, uh, Keeping Curie, and you will see what I'm talking about. She looks like the happiest baby that i ever seen, and you wouldn't tell that she's gone through so much. It's, it it's tells them, yeah no it's amazing it, it tells a lot from you too and the family life that you're giving all these kids I saw also your bio and you know you have uh, so much schooling and preparation behind your back as well um, my daughter is also studying to be a social worker and um, mm. she, yeah she's doing her master's degree right now and so I understand the type of um, heart that cares for this and to live your vocation is not easy. Let me put it this way. And I can see that you guys are doing that. So what can you tell people about living your vocation? My work is very hard. Some of my work is as a counselor and some of my work is a chaplain. And both of them, it's really hard. Um, There's a lot of relational work. It's about remaining present with people through very hard things. It's about... Um, walking alongside them as they learn. And then depending on the setting, sometimes getting some guidance as well, but sometimes not. As a chaplain, I often am there to be present with people as they die or to help them as they sort through choices in the end-of-life care. And that's always challenging, but it's so powerful because when families do the hard work, whether it's in counseling or whether it's end-of-life decisions, when families do hard work of living well or dying well, there's something very, very powerful about what humanity means, what people mean, how our relationships touch our lives and impact us. And there's just some, it's very sacred. There's something very sacred about being involved in those parts of people's lives. I think that is just the, the hardest job and at the same time the most rewarding one. Uh, that people it's have. It's true. I, I, I think that that's true. And one of the biggest challenges is that you can't do it for people. People have to do their own work. And mm-hmm. so sometimes people just don't want to or choose poorly, and you can't rescue them from the consequences of that. And we saw that even working with the biological families of these children. And even now we're pretty open with, um, even post-adoption, we're pretty open with some of the families and There are times things go well and we're able to have visits because everyone is safe and sober and making good choices. And other times we just can't because it's not safe or because they have other consequences. I've got two of their parents are in jail right now. And so, I mean, just by default, visits aren't happening. And they have to learn to do that themselves. You You can't choose for them. And that's always a hard thing. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life, experience, as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. 
always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Emily Christensen, author of Keeping Curie. Stay tuned because we are going to continue this inspiring and heartwarming conversation with Emily about foster care, adopting a special needs child, informed patient care for foster parents, living your vacation, and so much more. But in the meantime, you can check out Keeping Curie by visiting her website at facebook.com slash keepingcurie, and that is Keeping K Y R I E. What can you tell me about health care, especially for foster parents? I mean, what challenges have you found of uh, the health care system nowadays and especially for foster kids? Well, this morning I was recording the audio book and I was reading the chapters that talk about that actually and I mentioned in the book that there was a period where, because of all the speech path and developmental therapists and physical therapists and occupational therapists and all the different doctors involved with all six children, that for about a year we had 37 doctor's appointments a week. Wow. And it was just, it was insane. Um, so just there's that piece of it, just the actual physical challenge of trying to function as a family, much less hold a job or anything to support the family while still running everyone to their appointments and getting them where they're supposed to be. And during that time, like we don't even have the choice to do things like soccer games or, or t-ball or anything because that was a doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the other issues have to do with like who can consent to what, and in our state, Foster parents can consent to outpatient, but not to inpatient things or for surgeries and things like that. So at one point, even the baby was going to have surgery, and the mother can signed consent, well, by voice through the jail on the phone, um, gave consent for the baby to have surgery, but refused to give her consent for anesthesia because it was the only way she had to control anything. But you can't give do surgery on a baby without anesthesia. So we had to get a court order for that. But it was a life and death matter. So there was no time to argue about it or fight about it. Like, she was incorrect. So those are always scary things. And then also, because our kids are foster care, they are on Medicaid and trying to get through the red tape of what they need and making sure they are covered and that paperwork isn't lost or that people follow through on referrals and just advocating them in a practical way, much less actually about their issues and making decisions for what they need is really, really hard sometimes. What about uh, to gather information and know what's available? Um, is there any help for that? I mean, you're a counselor yourself. Is there any uh, programs where these families that have multiple foster care in different plans and with different parents and authorizations they need or whatever, is there anywhere where you can get information? Um, no, because each child has their own caseworker and there are different caseworkers for each child. And then usually a child has three or four caseworkers before their case is closed, sometimes 20 or more. And so it just really varies with each child. Once they are adopted, and ideally even before they are adopted with foster care, the family should have a worker as well, like Mm -hmm. not for the child but for the foster parent. 
So the resource worker, when we, our second resource worker was really amazing and she answered our questions and she stayed on top of things and she helped us find what we needed and took very good care of us. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard without her. Post-adoption, we're also supposed to have a worker and we have the opposite experience where our first one was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But then they made some reassignments, and now we don't even know who our post-adoption person is. And so that gets really hard to track down and then ask for help. And she doesn't know our family or our story, so it's hard in that way. Yeah. So there's really no guidance for a parent that gets into that system to uh, that will help them navigate? Not other than those people assigned to those roles. Yeah, well, the, the more kudos to you. <laughs> Not once, but six times. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I was looking at the email that I got to all your websites and everything, and I do want to really focus on facebook.com slash keepingkyrie because I think that they can get everything from there as well, and I want them to look at such beautiful pictures of the babies and and the book trailer. But I thought it was Mm -hmm. awesome that you named your other website housewifeclass.com. Yeah, because we all need a class, let me tell you. So so I really loved it, and um, I want to mention a little bit about it. What is housewifeclass.com? So that's funny because now that there's all these housewife TV shows, I actually get a lot of traffic that's looking for things that I do. <laughs> um, oh, that's awesome. What happened, yeah, what happened was I, I am deaf. I have cochlear implants, mm-hmm. and when I started going to my church, they had three hours of church instead of just two. Like we had church and then Sunday school and then a third class where the men went to one class and the women went to the other class. Mm-hmm. And I was I was a new convert, so I was being naughty and mocking them a little bit and didn't know what the women's class was called, and so I just called it housewife class. And so that's where the funny name from the blog came. And then after that, several years, maybe three or four years later, all these housewife shows started. So, <laughs> so you're the original one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to look at it as well. I visited and I found a wealth of information. I love that you have videos um, there of you also talking about questions that you get from people, and I thought that was awesome. We we don't have a lot of time, so I really want to know, though, what do you hope the readers get from your book, Keeping Curie? There are so many stories in our book. There are stories about the deaths of my parents and about cancer and about miscarriage and pregnancy and foster care and adoption and all the specific issues with these kids. And what we found is that although we are careful with disclosure, it does feel that the more that we talk about these issues, the more we find out how many women and other families and and men and parents are struggling with similar issues, but they're not talking about it or don't know how or where to talk about it. And so we want to, in part, educate and advocate for some change for our children and, and the situations they've endured, but also to just reach out and, and connect with other parents who are struggling with similar issues or even just parenting. It's just so hard. And to know that you're not alone and that there are other people who are real and not just the fake Pollyanna, everything's great on social media, whatever, 
but real life and the real grit of how hard it can be. Mm -hmm. We want to share that and connect with parents on that level. It is very important, especially when you're a new parent, because there's really... I don't know how to say this. There's really no right and wrong in the sense that uh, you you have no guidance. Uh, nobody gives you a manual. Mm, right. You know, it's, nowadays you buy a, an right. iPhone and they give you a manual on how to use it. But um, all of a sudden you find your baby. You know, you have a, this child that can't do anything, and it's so scary. And, and just to, you can be so afraid, you get paralyzed. So I I love um, parenting groups. I always had in. In the church they had, in the church that I attend, attended at that time, they had this mother group, and oh, it was wonderful. Yes, we're such a resource for each other. We can be. Yeah. We're not in the mommy wars. When we are just caring for each other, we can be such a resource. Oh, yes, and, you know, just not having to cook one night can make a difference. Uh, you know, maybe a couple of hours more to sleep or... <laughs> Just a couple more hours it's of just true. sitting down with your other kid, you know. It's, it's just uh, people don't realize it's you don't need to do something big to be helpful. It's such a gift, and our family, the baby would not be alive and our family would not be functioning if we did not have the community support that we do. We are really mm-hmm. grateful for so many who have helped us. Yeah, well, I I think that um, there's a lot of people grateful for people like you that take that a little bit further and and try to make a difference um, in so many lives like you're doing. Really, it's admirable what you guys are doing. We're a mess. (laughs) 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 But it's it's great, though. We're coming to the end, and uh, I want to give you the chance to convey any message that you would like to say to our audience before we go? Oh, just thank you so much for the support. Um, The book was released in July, and the response has just been incredible, and we are so grateful. It's been wonderful to meet other families and and to connect with them as parents. And where can they find your book for those interested in checking it out? They can find it uh, directly from us at housewifeclassstore.com if they want it autographed by the children but it's also available on Amazon in hardback and paperback. And we have just this week finished recording the audiobook, so it's coming soon. Awesome. And uh, listeners, you can check out also her website at uh, facebook.com slash keepingqrea. And I really encourage you to check it out. It, it really is um, a wonderful, wonderful book. It has all kinds of stories. Of, it, it, it is sometimes sad, like your video says, but... <laughs> I think you know you, everybody needs to go see that video book. So go to <laughs> facebook.com that uh slash curie, uh keeping curie. Again, Emily, thank you so much. It's really inspiring talking to you and I hope there's another book coming up or uh we get to talk again. Yes. Thank and you to, so much. Oh, thank you. And to you audience again, thank you so much for joining in and until next time.